Jeremiah 29 says, Father Lord, for I know, the Lord declares, I know the plans and the purposes I have for you. And they're plans for to prosper you and they're plans to give you a hope. I love that. Turn to your neighbour and say, God has a great plan for my life. Amen. Um, so it's interesting observing, I like to observe human behaviour. Um, it's a little thing I like to enjoy to do. And I was at a concert recently with Mona. Mona and I have been to a couple of concerts this year. Um, our most recent one was to see Brian Adams in concert. And uh, <laughs> that was a good concert. Um, but just as I looked around and I was watching the crowd as they were singing and getting into it, there were some people that were all arms and legs. They were shouting and screaming and singing out of tune to Summer of 69, which is pretty bad. By the way, have you ever noticed when... If you got three people in a room that couldn't sing, couldn't hold a note, that would sound terrible. But if you got those same three people and you multiplied them by, say, 3,000, and you put them in the same room or the auditorium, they'd all sing in tune. I, I find that a mystery, a, a miracle, actually. But, um, but uh, and then, you know, at the same time at the concert, there were, there were people that weren't as outlandish and they'd just sit there quietly maybe nodding their head or tapping their, their foot to the rhythm. The thing of it is, is that what I noticed is that we we all responded differently to the same thing we were hearing, to the same experience, but we all had different responses. And um, you know, I've I've served on well, I've served in this church for a long time on the ministry team with the worship, but I've served for nearly forty years on the worship team. And over those years, I've seen some. Different, different expressions of worship from the congregation and it's in a corporate setting and, um, and if there's one thing I've discovered in all of those years is that we are all unique we are all unique and, um, and we express our worship to God in a way that even though we're doing it corporately we're doing it in a way that's personal to us it's, it's our personal relationship we have with Christ. And, you know, you, you are unique. There's, there's nobody like, say, Chris Thompson in the whole wide world. At the last count, there were 7.6 billion people on the planet. And you know what? There's not, thank goodness, another Chris Thompson. Nobody can do what, say... Bradley can do on the guitar in the whole world. There's not another guitarist that can play exactly like Bradley up here on the guitar. Do you know how unique that is? There's nobody that can sing like Rocky. Not one person, not the greatest singer in the whole world can sing like Rocky. Only Rocky can sing like Rocky. We are unique. We are unique. But worship for us Christians isn't and shouldn't be about the experience, the physical experience of it. Yeah? I'm going to get a bit real here. In Matthew 15, 
it says that people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship. When our hearts are far from God, our worship is in vain, is it not? So um, I'm going to get into what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. If you've got your Bible, if you've got your Bible or your tablet or whatever it is um, that you're using this morning, if you turn to me to John 4 and just to set the scene, Jesus in the previous verses come off teaching Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was a, a, a Pharisee um, who wanted to know more about Jesus and you know from that particular teaching we get probably the most widely known verse in the whole bible anyone know what that is 316 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would um, have eternal life and not perish that so so jesus has come out of that style of preaching and now we find that um, he's in the Judean countryside with his disciples. Um, and after learning about the Pharisees and what they'd been saying, Jesus decided to go once back more to, to Galilee. So here he is, he's just come off this amazing teaching, this amazing word. He's in the Judean countryside and he hears the Pharisees and hears what they have to say and says, right, we're going to go back to Galilee. Now, we pick it up from 4 4. Um, it says here now, he had to go through Samaria. You see, I asked the question, why did he have to do that? I mean, why wouldn't it just say he went through Samaria? Um, you see, back in those times, the, the Jews of which Jesus was despised the Samaritans. They despised them, and they despised them for a number of reasons. Um, they were they were they they intermarried. They had racial intermarriage. They um, they only recognised the first five books as their of the Bible as their spiritual authority. There's a number of things, but the Jews despised them because they 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 truly just they weren't pure Jews anymore. They just weren't. They were like half breeds. So from that sense, the Jews. Um, despised them and so much so that the Jews would avoid Samaria or Samaria altogether. If they were travelling from Judea to Galilee, they would um, they would choose a different route and they would cross at the Jordan. I think I've got a map somewhere. I don't know if it's here now, but um, it's quite a long way around, just simply to to avoid going to Samaria. And in fact, just I'm labouring on this point because it's such a critical point to the scripture. But the Jews, if the Jew called someone a Samaritan, that was like a, a grave insult. That was the worst thing you could call somebody. I know in Mona's culture, if if you call if you um, threaten to throw a, a shoe at somebody or slap them with the sole of your shoe, in in Egypt, that's like. You know, you might recall a few years back there was an American president that had a shoe thrown at him. That that's a grave insult. This is this is what 
the Jews fought of the Samaritans. They were, they, they despised them. And yet, Jesus chose to go and had to go um, through Samaria. And the reason for that, and I can imagine the disciples, I mean, the disciples think, hang on, why don't we go and see, go through the. <laughs> we don't like these people. Better. I'm not saying they said that, but I'm just saying that you can imagine some of the conversations that were having taken place. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus had to travel through Samaria because, unbeknown to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well that Jesus is about to meet, unbeknownst to her, Jesus had a preordained divine appointment to meet with her. We read on. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tied as he was from as Jesus was tied from his journey. He sat down by the well um, as it was about the sixth hour, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? See, usually Jewish leaders didn't converse with women at all. In actual fact, they, they certainly wouldn't converse with a, a Samaritan woman in, in, in public. And Jesus not only addressed the Samaritan woman, but he also asked her for a drink. Even to the point where a, Samaritan, a Jewish person would consider even touching the cup or a vessel that was, hand, that was, hand, was handled by a Samaritan. They, they consider that unclean. I believe this request is quite significant that Jesus has asked for this from the Samaritan woman. Because what he's doing, he's breaking down a barrier. He's breaking down a long-held, despised situation and in, in, in asking for that drink. So we continue on. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and, and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks... Um, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So the woman responded, and she said, "Sir, give me the water, so I don't have to go thirsty again and have to keep coming to this well." You see. Jesus never approached anybody randomly. He always had a purpose. And here we find 
a um, in this verse here we find a foreign woman and 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 she she doesn't get what Jesus has actually just said to her she doesn't she see and I don't know about you guys but for me sometimes the practical becomes an obstruction to my understanding of what Jesus is saying to me too and I can I can sort of relate to this woman because she's only seeing it from the practical perspective doesn't have to go and draw water from the well anymore she probably does it every day He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the husband you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. See, as I said, Jesus never approached anybody randomly. He always had a purpose. And here we find, again, like this woman, she's had five husbands. She's now basically living in adultery. And this is the woman that Jesus chose that would... Um, bring the town in Samaria to him so that they could say we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the saviour of the world in John 4.39 we we know that, that Jesus spends and I won't go to it now Jesus spends two days there and the whole of the Samaria countryside and town come to him through this woman I, I tell you now, there was nothing ordinary or by chance about this meeting. There was nothing ordinary about it. God chose somebody like this woman as the person that he would use to um, save the people in that city, in that town. I think it's quite amazing. Here we see and the, the, the purpose of Jesus' journey to Sachar, which was to save the, save, which was to save the lost of Samaria. But you know what? I believe there were two reasons why Jesus chose to meet with this woman at the well, at the well of Jacob. One was obviously to save the lost in the city. But there's another reason and a far more reaching reason, I believe, for this encounter. We read on. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet and the fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, the woman after 
it sort of changes the subject a little bit, <laughs> um, which is not uncommon for us all to do. I mean, if we just had our life spoken to us in all the gritty detail, maybe we'd want to change the subject too. You know, maybe we might want to bring it to something else. Um, but it's interesting that she um, she talks about um, she changes it and talks about worship. Um, in particular, um, the mountain of Gerez where they worshipped, or the Jews in Jerusalem in the temple. We read on. Jesus, I think, realizing that had. He was focused and he, it didn't sway him from what he really wanted to say. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The salvation came from Jesus. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and in his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So, in the conversation, we, we, we notice a couple of things are happening. And in in the lesson about worshipping in the spirit and in truth, what God's saying in the first part of it is that God is no longer confined to a single geographical area or place. You're not going to have to go to a mountain <laughs> like in Old Testament times or the temple. Yeah. Pastor Andrew said it this morning when he said the temple is within. Um, and, and indeed it is. But here we find... The far, a, far, a second and far-reaching reason for this passage. See, with the coming of Christ, the separation between the Jew and the Gentile was no longer relevant, nor was the centrality of the temple. See, we have gained equal access to God. So... Uh, an actual fact, it, it astounded me, to be honest, when I, when I was reading, I thought, why didn't Jesus reveal this knowledge to Nicodemus? I mean, Nicodemus would have been far more understanding, potentially, of what Jesus was saying than this Samaritan woman with all her sin. I'm not saying Nicodemus wasn't without sin either. I'm just saying that I just wondered why. And you know why I think Jesus chose this Samaritan woman? Because she's us. She's us. Jesus often used the weak. And here we find a clear example of that. I can relate to this woman. I really can. See... No matter where you're from, how 
much wrong you think you've done. How long you've been a Christian for. How little a time you've been a Christian for. You have the same access to God as anybody sitting in this room right now. Irrespective of what is going on in your life right now. Romans 8, 3 says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of the Lord, my God. Nothing. Neither debt, nor height, nor sin, angels, nor demons. Nothing can separate you guys from the love of God and from what he has for you. Irrespective of how you might be feeling inside. Irrespective of the week you've had or what might be happening in your life, Jesus loves you. In Matthew 12, we read that um, you're to love God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. See, to worship God in spirit and in truth must involve loving him with all your heart. Must involve loving him with all your heart. So what is spirit and what is truth? <laughs> in the Greek, and I, well, I hope we've got no we've got Greeks in here today because I'm going to make a mess of this, I tell you. <laughs> um, in the Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma. Um, you might have heard of a pneumatic pump. I know I have. That's, But basically the word pneuma in Greek means a current of air that is breath that is invisible, that is powerful. I love that. I love that about God's spirit. In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. Everyone say ruach. Ruach. The wind of God or man, enlargement, inspiration, breath of life. How good's that? Seriously. I love it when we get into these old words and we start to break them down and we suddenly think, hang on a minute, they have other meanings that I didn't even really know of until I was actually forced to preach and actually read and go, oh, look, I just learned that. John 6, 6 John, in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. The spirit, that's what spirit is. And the truth, the Greek word for truth, and here we go again, aletheia, aletheia, which translated means factually or reality. The Hebrew word for truth is emet or emeth. Um, and basically that means, you know, established right, sure, faithful, um, what is firm? Truth. You know, John fourteen sixteen. Again, Andrew is stealing my words this morning. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He is the truth. No one comes to me, to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's spirit 
and that is truth. There can be, and I'm sure some of you would probably be able to tell, there's probably a dozen other meanings and things you could put to both those words. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? True worship must, must be in spirit, that is engaging the whole heart. Unless a real passion for God, and there's a real passion for God, there's no worship. There's no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth. And that basically means, guys, properly informed. Worship is not just a song or how we corporately worship here on a Sunday. Do you want me to give you my definition of worship? This is it. Worship is leading a God-fearing life that is based on a personal relationship with my Lord Jesus and trusting and believing in him, um, in his word, we have, I have faith in the plan and purposes he has for my life, which I live in accordance with his will and that brings honour and glory back to him. That's worship. It's not how I play this guitar on a Sunday or, or how we worship on a Sunday, it's your life. It's how you bring your life before the Lord. Unless we have knowledge of God, there is no worship in truth. See, both are necessary for, for satisfying and God-honouring worship. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow emotional experience. Um... Spirit without knowledge, how can I? I? I can remember, guys, when I was four, 13 or 14, and I'm sure some of the youth will relate to this, and I, we used to go away on retreats. They used to call them retreats back then. These days they call them camps. Or, they still call them retreats? I don't know. Maybe they do. But at that age, young Christian, not really that versed in the word, but hungry for God, we'd go along to these retreats. We'd be probably gone for two or three days. And we would come back from these retreats floating on air. I, is it, am I the only one that has had that experience when you go away and, or, or you, you have such an amazing encounter with God? And it's like... You know, it's, it's, it's like... It's, it's incredible feeling. But... One day into the next, into the next, into the next. And suddenly it dissipates. Mark 4 in the parable of the sower. Seed that fell on the rocky place. It was received with joy. But the world with its troubles or all its circumstances and everything you're in. Satan came to put away. The word has to be rooted within you for you to anchor into God's, in what God's doing with you. And, and, you know, being strong in God's word is essential. You know, our own church mission statement, Jesus is our passion. <laughs> His word is our pattern for life. They're, just in those two there, our spirit, his word. 
and it goes on to say in our mission, we see, um, we see uh, discipleship as our commission. How can we disciple if we haven't got those first two before it right? And social justice is our responsibility. The best combination, guys, of worship is having both aspects, which, rely, you know, which, which ends up being a joyous appreciation of God through informed scripture. The more we appreciate and understand God's word, the deeper our worship will become and the more God will be glorified. I love that. The more God will be glorified. You know, God cares about how we worship. He cares about how we worship. We read here, if we go back to verse 4, for the Father seeks such worshippers. I I spoke to Chris during the week about how many times we can read in the Bible where the Father actually seeks. I'd say this is pretty important to him about how we come with our worship. The importance of worshipping in spirit and in truth is when, you're, uh, when you are worshipping God, you're doing so with your whole heart, honouring him with all the passion and understanding God has placed within you. Worship is about God. It isn't about us. It's not about how I feel. Wasn't worship great this morning? Oh, brilliant. So good. I felt I felt good. I made me feel good. I wasn't worship. My worship was so bad this morning. Ugh, I don't know what they're doing. Singers can't sing. Playing too loud. Just really it wasn't right. I didn't feel it. I wasn't feeling it this morning. Let me tell you guys, worship isn't about you. <laughs> it isn't about you. The only time in our whole worship in this church on a Sunday morning that is about God is in worship. Everything else in church on a Sunday morning is about you and for your benefit. The word is for your benefit. The tithes and giving is for your benefit, not for the churches. <laughs> worship is about God. Worship involves our whole lives. It's not just what happens here on a Sunday morning. In Romans 12 we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Wow. Worship involves everything about you. Worship is hearing and responding to God's word. Worship is hearing and responding to God's word. Scripture is the centre of our worship and we need to engage our whole selves in God's word. We so do. 
I'm going to challenge you guys this morning about how many times you pick up your Bible during the week. How many times you envelop yourself into God's Word. For me, I I don't know if it's any easier for you guys, I use my tablet. I really don't like it. I prefer my Bible. But my tablet has a yearly Bible read in it, which means that I read a few chapters from that daily Bible read every day. And that, by the end of the year, I'll have read the Bible from start to finish. Um, Since I've had that app, I've done it, I'm on my third time round. Not boasting. I I love it. In actual fact, it's become like breath to me. I, I, I need it. I really would encourage you guys, if you are not, if, you, if you're struggling to get into the Word, pray about it. Give it to God. I'm the worst reader in the world. Seriously, I am. I hate reading. <laughs> I've never been that way inclined. You know, I'd rather be out riding my motorbike or doing something else. But you know what? When you get into the Word, God starts to open. He starts to reveal things. And things that, you know, apply, you, you'll be really surprised because the, the, the things he reveals to you are things that are, are relevant right now in your life. And you go, oh, wow. Oh, okay, God, I, I, I see that. That's worship. That's saying, hey, God, you're God and you're in control. I'm, I'm, I'm not. You know, I, I was telling the, um, in our creative team, we have our devotionals every Sunday morning. And I, I gave this, I heard this amazing little story about um, a little boy who just finished getting out of school and he had his habitat on. He was standing by the curb of the road and he was waiting seemingly for nothing, just standing there. A businessman came out and he saw the boy standing there thinking that there might have been something wrong. He said to the boy, what, 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 are you okay? The boy said, no, I'm fine, I'm just waiting for the bus. The businessman turned around and said, well, you're never going to catch a bus here. There's no bus stop. You need to go down the road, turn right, then take a left, and then about 200 metres up the road, you'll see the bus stop. You go up there, you'll catch the bus. Boy said, okay, no problems. Businessman started to walk away. Then he turned back and he noticed that the boy hadn't moved. At that same point, around came the bus. And the bus came down the road and it stopped straight in front of where the boy was standing. The the businessman couldn't help but he asked, how did you know that the bus would stop for you there? The little boy turned around with a smile on his face and said, ha, my dad's driving the bus. (laughs) What I'm trying to say there, guys, is that boy had a 100% confidence in knowing that that bus would stop because his father was driving it. We need that same faith that our father has for us and the purposes and the things he has for your life. We need to know that we know that we know that we know that we know that God's got you back. He's got it covered no matter what the situation is. How can we not worship that? That is just incredible. Worship is personal. 
we have a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus. And it's personal to us. Like I said earlier, to, we, we are unique. We're all different. We all serve the same God. But we all have a personal relationship with him. I want to encourage you today that if you don't have that personal relationship with God, if you don't have a trust and a hope in the plans that God has for you, I really want to pray for you this morning. Perhaps we could just stand in the time we've got left. Let's ask that you'd pray this with me with all eyes closed, Christians praying. If you don't know God, if you don't know him in that personal, personal way, or if you feel like you've, you know, you want, you, you need more encouragement in his word, or you feel maybe left behind a bit I'm here to tell you today that you have equal access to God you have an ability to be able to stand before your creator and give him your all so I just ask that you to pray this with me with all eyes closed dear Lord Jesus I know I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died in my place and rose from the grave to make me new and to prepare me to live in your presence forever. Jesus, come into my life. Take control of my life. Forgive my sin and save me. I place my trust in you. For, for you alone are my salvation. And I accept the free gift of eternal life. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or a recommitment, I really would ask that you come and either see myself or one of the team, Pastor Andrew, Marianne Manor, Chris, Lordez. Um, I really encourage you guys to know that God is in control of every situation. So as you worship him in spirit and truth, dig into his word because it's his truth. Amen? Thank you.